Blog Talk Radio. Biosecurity for Birds program and editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Each week I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and of course living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook. Oh, don't forget we're also on Instagram. And you can subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by our good friends over at Kalmbach Feeds. At Kalmbach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, Our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at idealpoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFRadio.com. That's GQFradio.com. Metzer Farms is now hatching and shipping the premier egg layer. This girl is consistently laying jumbo eggs with a higher nutrient density and lower water content than your eggs now. 
She is an extremely hardy bird and the most heat and cold tolerant egg layer available, allowing for year-round outdoor production. An eggshell unmatched in sturdiness and thickness, making cracks a thing of the past. Increase your health and double your egg profits. Of course, we're talking about ducks. Duck eggs are revered by chefs for their succulent flavor and by bakers for being the better baking egg. Learn more about this extraordinary duck, the Golden 300, or any of our other 35-plus breeds of ducks and geese at MetzerFarms.com and order your next flock from us. Sweet PDZ has been keeping horse stalls ammonia-free and healthy for nearly 33 years. However, ammonia is ammonia, regardless of the species producing it. Therefore, it will do the same great job in your chicken coops and brooders. Sweet PDZ safeguards flock health by neutralizing and eliminating harmful levels of ammonia and odors. Safe and effective moisture absorption. All-natural, non-toxic, premium-grade zeolite mineral. Contains no masking scents or chemical perfumes. Safe and beneficial to dispose with waste on compost and gardens. Learn more at SweetPDZ.com. That's SweetPDZ.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer here to tell you that if you have backyard poultry, nothing is more important than making sure your feathered friends are safe from infectious poultry diseases. Learn the simple steps to keep your birds healthy by visiting this website, healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. That's healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. A message from the USDA. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. All righty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by our good friends at Kalmbach Feeds. And um, we got a great show lined up for you today. I reached out to Dr. Pateski earlier in the week and, and picked his brain about kind of what, what we could use as a topic today. And uh, he gave me several choices, and um, yeah, I like them all, but this one I think would be very beneficial to Again, every chicken owner out there, whether you have six pet chickens in your backyard or maybe a flock of 3,000 that you uh, earn, a, earn some living with, uh, either selling them as uh, meat birds or, um, or, or the eggs, or maybe you have a homestead and you've got you know, 50, 60 birds yourself. Really across the board, I think this show will be a great value to you. Uh, I've titled it actually, What Disease could my chickens have or what disease could my chicken have? And, and I think today, if I understood correctly, we're going to be just very briefly talking about um, the array, the, the many diseases that you know, we can find in our backyard flocks. And um, my goal, and I shared this with Dr. Pateski via return email, uh, my goal today is to really shed light on the fact that a lot of chicken diseases uh, can really present with the same symptoms, and that definitely does not mean that it's a one-size-fits-all treatment. And over the last 
wow, really over the last couple of years, but I've really seen an increase uh, in the last, I would say, six months um, that when I visit a lot of these Facebook forums uh, on chickens, backyard chickens, backyard poultry, and and you see them, you see them as well as me, and we'll see someone post, you know, my chicken has these symptoms. What do I need to do? Um, and... Uh, or, or it could be even a little bit more detailed. My chickens are having snot come from their, their beak or their nostrils or they're having some drainage or their eyes swollen or, you know, there's got their ears, whatever the case may be. And, and I've noticed over the last six months, again, that right now the number one answer from the people responding are, well, you need to go to the farm store, get Tylen 50, and give them one cc, uh, I think, of whatever they, dose they come up with uh, every single day or twice a day or whatever the case. And, and all the doses and all the, the frequencies are different because I'm pretty sure from a show we did earlier that Tylen's not even labeled for use in poultry. It's off-label use, and you know what I'm about to say, which really requires veterinary oversight so that vet can give you how much, how often, how long, um, and an egg withdrawal period based on their own research and opinion. But uh, the, the number of times I've seen that over the last six months is one reason why I'm excited about doing this show because they're, we're probably going to talk about some diseases that present with the same symptoms that, you know what, that's not going to do squat, um, even if you did go that route, um, for that bird. Um, and and I've done some Facebook Lives on this before, very recently, where, you know, a couple of years ago, the FDA just eliminated all of the water-soluble antibiotics that, you used to rely on um, because of overuse, because everybody and their brother, when they posted a symptom, oh, you're going to need to go to the feed store, you need to get this water-soluble antibiotic, you need to add it for water. And you know what? Overuse. Now we're seeing a lot of these um, uh, diseases and even the parasites uh, that are building resistance of external and internal parasites that are building resistance. So, you know, it can see... Uh, it's almost like as as a, as a whole, the backyard poultry uh, folks are almost you know, we're are creating our own demise here because now you're running out and and the number one thing is well because it's still on the shelf, Thailand 50, and use that um, when I'm when I'm sure there's diseases that people are saying to go use this for and it's not doing squat for your bird. So that's my uh, hopefully this that I that the takeaway that I get from the show and that I hope that you may take away from the show um, is that, you know, there will be a lot of diseases here that Dr. Uh, Pateski is going to talk about that may present with the exact same symptoms, but by no means, uh, by any stretch of the imagination, Thailand 50 is going to do anything for that bird. Um, and then you're just building resistance and wasting your money and your time and, and everything else. So um, that's, that's what kind of, uh, I perceive maybe the show for our listeners out there. So don't have any host chat. I don't have any chickens in the news this morning. We're going right over to the phone lines to our good friend who comes and joins us the second Thursday of every single month, Dr. Maurice Pateski out of UC Davis University. And uh, this is well over my pay scale because I'm, you know, I don't share any uh, disease, you know, 
recommendations when people ask me. I get emails or whatever, and you know what what do you do? I don't even say, Doctor Potesky. Well, when I had a hen or a chicken that had those symptoms, I did this and it worked for me. I just don't do it anymore because uh, again, I want to be able to sleep at night. And I don't want to have that responsibility. On, you can have that responsibility as a veterinarian. So I don't even do that anymore. I'm like, you know, if you want to trust some of these things, and and again, let's face it, the truth of the matter is, is that if even if you have that situation, because I, I, I tell them, I'm like, okay, so your local vet doesn't see chickens. How, and we've talked about this so many times. How far are you willing to go? Are you willing to drive two hours to see a vet that will see your chickens? Three hours at your local university, local poultry diagnostic lab? Let's say there's somebody that just had, truly, at the end of the day, has no other options other than just take some advice from uh, it worked for me on, on the Internet. You know, that, that I don't know. I don't think that you or I could say anything that's going to stop that from happening, um, but so so we know it happens. But um, that, that's what I hope. Kind of the show will uh, will help folks. So again, above my pay scale, above my level of knowledge. That's why I have folks like you and Dr. McRae co-author my books when there's to- topics like this that I am definitely not qualified to talk about. And then I still have hopes of what what the show I think for our listeners will will. Um, they can get that takeaway. So I'm going to turn it over to you, and and you can you know can go right into this. And, and I, I've titled it, you know, kind of what disease could my chicken have? And again, folks, we're not going to pick at every single disease, go through all the symptoms, all the signs, all the treatments, all of that. That's that's you know another show. In fact, you can go back and look at our titles where we've actually dissected each uh, of these individual, a lot of the. Um, issues and, and talked about them. I think this is my goal is kind of maybe an overview, Dr. Potesky. I don't know what your you can share with what your idea was for the show, but kind of just give us an overview. Like here's a whole list of things that uh you may encounter with your flock in your backyard. But I'm gonna hand it over to you, my friend. Thanks for joining us today. Great. Thanks for having me again, Andy. Can you hear me okay? <laughs> Absolutely, loud and clear. Well thanks again for having me. My my voice is a little scratchy. I'm getting better, but I I got my first uh uh, cough slash cold of the season. So uh, if you hear me hacking a little, my apologies uh, to folks there. Um, so to your point, actually, about, you know, kind of when you were mentioning that, you know, obviously we can't go over every disease. Um, so just to give everyone a little perspective, there is a book called Avian Diseases. Um, and the la- the author, the, the primary editor is uh, this guy, Mo Saif. Um, and uh, if you're really, really interested um, that's the book you should get on Amazon. And uh, if you can read all several thousand pages of that, then you, you would become a uh, <laughs> a true poultry pathologist in, in that situation. But it, it's hard. That's that's kind of the Bible of avian diseases books. It's not cheap. Um, there is another oh one that's Just floating around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's I an amazing book. I just pulled it and, up. You're right. And. Two hundred and forty-four. It's on Prime, so hey, you get it in a couple of days if you want it. Uh, yeah, uh, diseases of poultry, uh, two hundred and forty-four dollars and ninety-nine cents. And uh, <laughs> you said several thousand pages. I'm trying to see if it actually lists um, here how many actual pages it is. If it's going to post here, um, they actually have. Uh, kind of see. You might save a little bit by buying one that's used. <laughs> Actually, if it says how many pages, you said several thousand. I don't know if I've ever owned a book that's had several thousand pages. Uh, yeah, it's intense. Pages. It is. It, this this book has yeah. almost 1,400 pages, and it is still the gold standard 
Um, so that's that's fabulous. I didn't even know this book existed, to tell you the truth. So uh, yeah, I don't know cool. if I'm going to run out and get it at that price, but that's that's amazing. Thanks <laughs> for sharing that. And it's on Amazon, folks, Diseases of Poultry, uh, I believe. Let me see if this is the one we're talking about. Um, well, you said it was edited Andy, by a gentleman named. Yes, Saif, yes. That sounds like the book. So, Andy, the holidays are coming up, so so maybe someone will get you that book as a uh, as a present for the holidays, and and you could become a a, a poultry pathologist there or or poultry veterinarian, an honorary one. <laughs> I don't know about that. Maybe I'll put that on my wish list for something. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so go ahead. I just wanted to let everybody know. I wanted to look for myself, and yep, there is fourteen hundred pages. So um, that, that's kind of the, the the equivalent of war and peace for uh, you know poultry pathology, <laughs> poultry disease. So it's it's a long one, and you know people like myself, we don't read those things cover to cover, but we look at it when you know we get questions or when we're doing um, research and we have to kind of think through something a little, um, or when we're trying to treat a flock and we're trying to see well what are the you know the things that we should be considering here. Um, and believe it or not, there's a lot of stuff behind that. So when you look at the back of each one of those chapters, there's literally, you know, probably for each chapter, hundreds of references. So that's all the source um, literature, all the scientific literature that was used to kind of summarize each one of those um, those chapters. So, you know, if you th- even think behind that, there's there's tens of thousands of pages um, uh, that, that, that really helped, you know, kind of make those uh, statements in there, you know, scientifically as as, knowledge, as accurate as we as we think they are. In lieu of that, the other there is another book I think you can find online that's called the Handbook of Poultry Diseases um, by Simon Shane, and that's a great kind of cheat sheet version of it. Um, and it it goes over um, as the name implies, um, kind of gives you an overview of poultry diseases. That's a great I think. Um, kind of general overview um, of, you know, basically what the avian diseases book covers. Um, and I think that's, I, I, I know a long time ago I, I got it online for free. Um, and I think that's probably still available somewhere if you kind of search around for it. Um, but that's a good, that's another good kind of um, source of material. Um, so as you were saying, you know, obviously we can't go over all the diseases, but we can pick a handful of them and I, I think, you know, I, I, we are on the same page, unfortunately, in the sense that most avian diseases, not all of them, and, and we're going to give some examples of, of ones that you can kind of self-diagnose, um, most avian diseases um, are, are not what we call pathognomonic, and that's just a fancy word of saying, if I see a, a chicken coughing or if I see a chicken have diarrhea, I, I can't just say, oh, it's coughing, so it has to have mycoplasma or it's coughing, it has to have uh, avian influenza, or it's coughing, um, it has to have uh, lungworms, or it's got diarrhea, it has to have coccidia, or it's got diarrhea, it's got to have E. coli. It just doesn't work that way with poultry, unfortunately. And, and where it gets really complicated is that, especially for backyarders, is that if you have five birds, um, that's a much different calculation than if you're a commercial poultry producer and you have hundreds of thousands and sometimes millions of birds. So if I'm a commercial poultry producer and I've got a barn that's got 10,000 birds in it and I want to, I hear something in the barn, maybe I hear just a a slight kind of what we call tracheal rail. I'm I'm just hearing just some sound that just doesn't sound normal to me. Well, at that point, I'm going to euthanize uh, a handful of birds 
and I'm going to do necropsies on them and open them up and send them to a pathologist just so I can make sure that that flock is, is, doesn't have infectious laryngeotracheitis or doesn't have mycoplasma because I, I need to know that sooner than later um, because if that barn gets infected, it could spread to other flocks and other barns um, on your property. So for them, it's a very uh, normal procedure to, to euthanize a couple birds in order to protect the rest of the flock. That's a, that's a completely normal thing to do. Now, when I have conversations with backyard uh, poultry owners, that is a much different, you know, kind of calculation. They have five birds, the birds might have names, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it makes treatment much more challenging in that environment, in that world, um, than, it, than it does in the commercial world. Um, and that's just something to be aware of. We're, we're kind of backyard poultry sometimes is a square peg in a round hole because all those books, all those ha- the handbook of poultry diseases and the avian diseases text, those are really all based on, you know, kind of a philosophy of like, we're going to euthanize some birds and we're going to do all the diagnostics we need to do in order to be 100% definitive about what disease we have. So for backyard birds, that's not always, obviously always possible or the preferred route of um, kind of treatment. And in that situation, then you're in this middle ground where it is highly recommended very often to seek um, a veterinarian um, because veterinarians um, can do some of the diagnostics without euthanizing the bird. It's not the perfect test, um, but they can try to isolate um, bacteria or viruses or whatever it be. Um, from the bird itself and then use that information to treat the bird. Sometimes veterinarians, though, including myself, um, we will have some clinical signs that will say, okay, it's most likely this. We can try to definitively diagnose it, but in, in, in lieu of that, in order to save some time, um, let's, let's be aggressive and treat. And, and in some situations, that is a completely reasonable and appropriate thing to do. The only thing I really encourage people to do is to do that with their veterinarian because sometimes it might seem like you are doing exactly what the vet did and it can kind of kind of bite you in the butt a little because you end up um, not considering everything and, and vets make mistakes too, obviously. But if you don't consider everything, then you're treating a viral disease, for example, with an antibiotic or a parasitic disease with an antibiotic. And not only does that waste time and money, um, but you very often will make um, the bird more sick um, by doing that. And, and there's also, you know, obviously all these other problems that we're concerned about. We want to use antibiotics um, as, as appropriate. So what I was thinking today was we'd kind of go over just an example of um, several different types of problems that chickens have and, and some that you can see, some that you can't see, and kind of just think about, the, you know, kind of the, the animal kingdom of diseases um, if you will, that, that can affect poultry. And I wanted to start kind of from the outside and work our way in, start from something big that we can see. Um, so the most, you know, the, 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 the thing that we can see, and this is, um, you know, obviously something that we're probably all intimately aware of, are ectoparasites. Um, so insects, right? So, um, and then I want to talk about one example of an ectoparasite. I want to talk about one example, then something really small that we can't see, like a virus. Um, then I want to talk about something a little bigger, uh, like bacteria, like E. coli, which is ubiquitous in our environment and gets a little complicated because E. coli is everywhere, right? And some E. coli are, are, are harmful and some E. coli aren't. 
Um, and there, I think depends on kind of a lot of things that we'll talk about. And then there's also I want to talk about um, a protozoal parasite. Um, so that covers pretty much the whole spectrum of different types of bacteria and viruses and parasites and insects that can that can um, cause diseases um, with poultry. So ectoparasites are probably the one, um, probably the most satisfying in some ways um, diagnosis to make because if you are, in my mind, if you are a curious person and and you um, use the internet appropriately, and what I mean by appropriately is you use um, uh, well-researched websites, usually that have a .edu at the end. Um, and, and the reason I say .edu is because uh, we we don't have any vested interest in you buying something from us. Um, we're not going to use anecdotal evidence um, in the way that I think some people and websites will, you know, kind of say, well, I, I use this, you know, I always try to beat up on the apple cider vinegar folks. I used apple cider vinegar and this got rid of, you know, all these things on my horse and then I used it in my chicken and it did the same thing. Well, obviously those aren't kind of controlled experiments and, and we just don't know if that's true. So um, the .edu sites in general are, are much better at um, – you know, not uh, serving you the Kool-Aid, um, to, to use uh, uh, that, that, that phrase. So I think it's really important that, especially with, 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 with ectoparasites, I think people can do a really good job because I think you can – it's not hard. It's, you know, not rocket science to identify um, fleas or mites. Um, it just takes a curious um, personality, and it also takes someone that's going to do the right types of research. That handbook on poultry diseases is a great book. It's got good color photos. Um, but if you go on to a lot of the, the .edu um, um, sites and look at some of those photographs, um, you can make your diagnosis, and the treatments are, are pretty you know, reasonable and over-the-counter. So in some cases, there's no reason to pull in a veterinarian. Um, and it's always it's always nice to talk to someone else to bounce ideas off of them, and a lot of veterinarians will will work with you and they won't charge you for some of those you know kind of just back and forth kind of conversations because, in all honesty, a lot of veterinarians are still learning about how to treat backyard poultry. It's not it's not something that most small animal veterinarians are are 100% comfortable with. So um, if you can have that good relationship with a veterinarian. Um, why that'll help you in the long term because on the on the one the one time that you do need an antibiotic, then you've got that relationship with that veterinarian, um, and and it becomes a much easier kind of transaction at that point, as opposed to doing everything on your own. And then you know when that situation comes up that you need to have your birds treated, um, now you have to try to find a veterinarian, and that and that can be challenging. So, um. I, I encourage people to work with their extension vets, like some people like myself. So most states have someone like myself um, to also work um, with their private veterinarians and to use the, the, the Internet appropriately. So um, the example I thought that might be most appropriate is the, the northern foul mite. Northern foul mite. Um, so northern foul mites are tiny by themselves, but they, they kind of um, they, they mat. Um, they kind of group together, typically in the vent area, um, and it's the most common ectoparasite in chickens in, in North America. Um, so they're, like I said, they're usually find, found in that vent area uh, just north of the cloaca. Um, and um, the individual mites, like I said, are tiny, 
Um, but the, the, that, that vent area will look um, kind of dirty, um, and, and that, that's caused by uh, the eggs and the feces and the, the cast, the kind of outer shell of those mites. Um, which is characteristic of an infestation. Excuse me, of an infestation. Um, those northern foul mites will stay on the birds 24/7. That's a little different than like red mites. Um, so red mites are kind of interesting in that they'll you'll find them on the birds at nighttime, um, but in the daytime um, you'll actually find them in typically in roosts and little corners, um, kind of those type of areas, um, and. Um, they don't like to feed on people, so um, it, it, it's really important to, to every day or two days to look at your birds and to really um, to really investigate, you know, all the different getting down to their skin and looking in that cloacal region to look for things like uh, lice and fleas and mites. Um, because those are things that you can see. And if you're looking every day or two days, you're going to start learning what normal looks like. And that's in many ways, the most important thing to do. If you know what normal looks like, then when you see that kind of matted, dirty vent area, you're going to be like, okay, something's going on here. This is not normal. I don't know what this is, but I'm going to look at my handbook on poultry diseases, or I'm going to go to, you know, the UC Davis Vet Med Extension or whatever other university um, type site you might want to go to, and you might kind of try to kind of search around there or reach out to someone like myself and explain um, what you're seeing. Um, so those mites are, um, you get that kind of matted area. Um, the one thing I would say is there are all kinds of ways to treat um you know, northern foul mites, and they're, they're very common. And the most common way um, and probably the, the safest way um, is to use diatomaceous earth. And we've talked about diatomaceous earth before, and it's used. This is one of the great things about, um, you know, just, just research in general. Um, so the diatomaceous earth is used by the organic poultry industry um, because they're not allowed to use chemicals to treat uh, ectoparasites. Um, so it's a organically approved treatment and all you need to do is basically put the diatomaceous earth in a one to four ratio, a one part diatomaceous earth and four parts like play sand in a litter box and then allow your birds to do their natural, um, 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 behavior as far as dust bathing. Um, and when they dust bathe, um, there's a lot of different explanations of this, but when they dust bathe, that seems to um, basically suffocate uh, the, any mites that are on that bird. Now, the, the, the interesting thing is if the birds actually do not dust bathe, um, the diatomaceous earth doesn't work very well, um, if at all. So it's really important um, to make sure that birds are dust bathing. And that's a behavioral thing. Some birds dust bathe, some birds don't. Um, there's a kind of question, do birds dust bathe because they want to clean themselves and get rid of ectoparasites potentially, or do they dust bathe because it's just their natural behavior? Um, and it's kind of, no pun intended, kind of one of those chicken and the egg type of, uh, type of questions. Um, but that's a really easy thing to do. Now, the other option, let's say your birds are not dust bathing. Um, if they're not dust bathing, then, you know, you could consider purchasing products like Seven. Um, which is a, um, a powder um, that you want to apply every two weeks for at least uh, two to three uh, applications. 
and that will also work um, on controlling uh, several ectoparasites with the focus primarily on these these foul mites, these northern foul mites, which are very common. Um, so that's an option, like I said, if birds are not dust bathing or, um, you know, keeping care of diatomaceous roots can be a little challenging, especially this time of year. It starts getting a little cooler and rainier. Um, so what happens a lot, unfortunately, is that when you have your diatomaceous earth in that um, pan, um, first of all, it has to be in a pan in that, in that uh, one to four ratio. If you just spray the diatomaceous earth, you just spread the diatomaceous earth on your, in, your, um, in your coop, it doesn't seem to work as well. So it's really important to get those um, kind of uh, litter box type of containers to put the diatomaceous earth in there. And I've told this to people in the past, but diatomaceous earth is very volatile, uh, which is the fancy way of saying it aerosolizes very easily. So it's really important to be really careful um, with kids and with grown-ups around diatomaceous earth. So when they when they create that um, that aerosol, the birds create that aerosol. It's probably not good for anyone to to breathe in. They do have food grade diatomaceous earth, um, but the reality is it's still um, very volatile. It still aerosolizes really easily. So it's really important to um, to be cautious around that. And the last thing I'll mention about the diatomaceous earth that's also really important to be aware of is that it can be a little challenging to always have diatomaceous earth in your um, in your coop area. So the good part about having it there um, as just a preventative strategy is that you can control ectoparasites. Probably more, most of the literature is really focused on uh, foul mites, but it probably works for lice, probably works for fleas. Um, but un un unfortunately, what happens is when you, when you have it there just in your, in your coop area, other wildlife um, and some birds um, in, including chickens, sometimes they see that diatomaceous earth is almost like a litter box. Um, so you can get some poop in there. Um, the other thing that will happen is um, as the weather gets cooler and we get a lot more um, moisture in the environment, even if we don't have a rainy day, um, that diatomaceous earth can get really wet and kind of clumpy, um, and that, that makes it a lot harder for them to dust bathe in. Um, so it can be a little challenging to manage, um, you know, you, you could, one nice thing about it is it's a good, um, enrichment or kind of distraction for the birds. So, you know, backyard birds in general have so much enrichment already, you know, for people and, um, all the different things that are going on in their backyard and all the things that they get to, to kind of play with. Um, it's not like they need another thing, but it is good to kind of offer them something that's actually probably good for their health also. So, um, in a perfect world, you would have that diatomaceous earth there all the time. Um, maybe um, you have to replace it a little more often. Um, maybe you have to take it in at night so it doesn't um, get waterlogged. It doesn't get used by other animals as much for a, as a litter box. Um, but you just have to figure out what works. But it's a great way to treat um, these type of diseases. And like I said, you know, Diagnosing mites is not something, in my opinion, you always need a vet for. Sure, it's always nice to, to go to a vet, but the reality is, you know, when you take your animal to a vet, they're going to go in the back eventually and, and look in a book and look online um, to see if, yep, that looks like mites to me. Yep, that makes clinical sense to me that, that it's mites based upon, you know, what I'm seeing, what the owner is describing to me. Um, and, and I think the real interesting thing about backyard poultry is that a lot of these things can be treated, 
um, by owners as opposed to, to dogs and cats and horses where sometimes it's, it's the, 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 the nature of their problems make it to where you, you need to have a veterinarian there just because um, you need a veterinarian to do a physical exam, which you typically don't do on a chicken, for example. So those northern foul mites are, are easy to, to, to look for, and, and I, I think that the, the nice thing about talking, you know, especially with the theme of this uh, show, the nice thing about talking about, about this is I'm not going to be this veterinarian that stands on you know, his pedestal and says, well, every problem that you see, you have to go to a vet. Well, that's not true at all. And this is a perfect example of, you know, you as a backyard owner, you know, kind of taking ownership and, you know, saying, you know what, I'm going to start checking my, my birds daily. And, and the reality is you need to check all your birds and backyard birds. Um, you know, if you have five or 10 birds, uh, sometimes those, those foul mites and those lice, uh, and those fleas and, and other ectoparasites, they'll, they'll be grouped on one or two birds to start with. So if you only look at one bird or two birds and say, that, well, that's representative of what's going on in the rest of the flock, and eh, that's probably not the case. And what will happen is, you know, if you have really bad luck, and let's say you check one or two birds every week or so, before you know it, you know, by the time you, you detect the problem, the whole flock is going to be infected. And that doesn't mean you can't treat them. Um, but remember, you know, you can have these northern foul mites, are, they get a blood meal off of the animal. So um, the birds can get anemic, um, and it's much harder. Like all diseases, it's harder to treat animals the further along we get in, a, in an infection. We want to treat them as quickly as possible and detect the problem as soon as possible. Um, and then the outcomes are usually better. So check all your birds in a perfect world every day. Now, if you have 100 birds, obviously that's not a practical solution there. But for most backyard enthusiasts that have five birds or so like that, yeah, sure, you should be able to check your birds every other day. And like I said, if you find a bird, let's say you find you look all five or six of your birds and you find one bird that looks a little that, – that's got um, some type of ectoparasite on them, so you look – you know, for focusing on these northern foul mites, you're looking in that you're turning the bird upside down and you're you're pulling back the feathers and you're looking um, at that vent area. Um, if you do find one of your five or six birds that do have those louse, on, not louse excuse me, that do have those northern foul mites on them, um, then that's when you want to separate that bird from the rest of the flock um, because that bird's going to get the rest of the, the rest of your flock um, infected also. So in that situation, in a perfect world, you would have a sick pen set up and you would be able to treat those birds, um, not only with uh, if you want to try the sieven or you want to try the diatomaceous earth. Um, you can do that for, for the, the, the healthy part of your flock and for the sick part of your flock, but you want to prevent the, the sickest birds from, from, um, from getting your healthier birds um, um, sick, if that makes sense. Sure. So... Um, um, so that's the, the the thing that you can see that you can respond to. Um, you know, it's it's a great, like I said, it's I, I think it's a, a nice example of you know how we can get our families and our kids involved and in looking at microscopes and and all those kind of fun things. Um, and and the next thing I want to talk about is something that we can't see, but is is unfortunately ubiquitous and the most common um, avian disease um, that causes mortality in chickens, and that's um, Merrick's disease. Um, and Merrick's disease is just one of these things that we just have to deal with um, at a certain level. It's, it's ubiquitous, the virus. Um, as one of my virology teachers told me um, a long time ago when I was in vet school, 
Uh, so Merrick's disease is a herpes virus. Um, and he said there's two things you can never get rid of, uh, herpes viruses and land in Pullman, Washington. And uh, he always <laughs> – so he would tell our class, he's like, I have one of those. I'm not going to tell you which one. So um, – so I'll take I'll take his his uh, his his, his uh, I'll take his word for it on both of those cases. I won't buy uh, any land in Pullman, Washington, and hopefully don't have any any herpes viruses. Um, but but his point was herpes viruses are very hard to get rid of, uh, not only in the animal but in the environment. And Merrick's disease is a herpes virus, and it's, it's ubiquitous in the environment. And because it's ubiquitous in the environment, the assumption is wherever you have chickens. Um, you have uh, Merrick's disease. So um, it's one of these things that, um, like I said, we, we don't always, um, we can't always diagnose definitively. But if we have younger birds um, that have uh, typically um, some type of, um, um, so that, that, that paralysis or inability to move, um, those are typically the most common signs that we see with Merrick's disease. We see young birds, three to six months of age. Not all birds read the books. We do have some older birds that can get it, but three to six month old birds um, that have paralysis. Um, so I'll usually get a call from an owner that'll say, oh, my, my bird's not hungry anymore. And I go, why, why, why do you know your bird's not hungry? It's like, well, it's not moving at all. It's not going to the, to the feeders or the waters. And and that's usually that the, the the symptom is that they're not eating, but the cause is that they're they're not moving. They can't move um, because Merrick's disease causes um, a specific type of tumor or lymphoma in in what we call the peripheral nerves, which is typically the sciatic nerve, which is the nerve um, that's kind of in the um, the hip area of chickens. So we have a sciatic nerve. Chickens have a sciatic nerve. The way that we diagnose Merrick's disease is that we euthanize a bird and then we open them up and we look at that sciatic nerve. And if you're a really good pathologist, which I am not, but if you're a good pathologist, you'll look at that sciatic nerve and it'll just look bigger, almost like inflamed and enlarged. Um, and that's the lymphoma. That's, the, that's where the cancer is causing um, those peripheral nerves to kind of be enlarged. Um, there are some fancier techniques to do, but because it's so common, um, the pathologists don't want to waste time, energy, and money using those fancier techniques so they'll usually, um, at that point, basically say, look, you're dealing with, with Merrick's disease. The good part about Merrick's disease, though, is that it's, um, it's, it's basically 99% preventable. So the bad part about it is that most backyard chickens, if I, if I was going to, someone's going to ask me what's the most common cause of backyard chicken mortality, I wouldn't say nutrition, I wouldn't say predators. Um, I wouldn't even say age. I would say the most common reason the backyard chickens die is because they get Merrick's disease. And why do they get Merrick's disease? For two reasons. Um, they get Merrick's disease because 99% of backyard chickens, unfortunately, are not vaccinated against Merrick's disease. And the second reason is, is that backyard chickens um, are typically raised as mixed-age flocks. So the older birds which might not have Merrick's disease, they still are carrying the virus because it's ubiquitous, right? It's that herpes virus. So they're exposing younger birds um, in these mixed-age flocks because we all have, well, most, most backyard owners have backyard chickens that are old and, and backyard chickens that are young. So they're exposing any young birds to that virus and kind of perpetuating um, um, the, the virus in the environment. They're perpetuating the disease. 
So there's the good news is there's ways to get rid of that though, and and um, you know if you do see even if you if you if you've never had Merrick's disease in your flock, I, I really would encourage you to always work with hatcheries that um, um, that offer the vaccine and they give the vaccine at the minimum a day of age. So it's really important to go to your feed store, to go to your hatchery and insist that you get um, birds that are vaccinated. And the second thing, so that's on the hatchery, that's on the, on the, on the breeder and that's on, on you um, to basically make sure that your birds are vaccinated. The second thing you need to do, especially because a lot of people have these mixed age flocks, which is just the normal reality of backyard poultry. The second thing you need to do is just make sure that the birds that are that the environment, when you're putting new young birds into your coop, that the environment is free of any feather dander because the feather dander, the herpes virus, can concentrate in the feather follicle. So if I vaccinated my chicks and I raised them in a brooder and then I started said, okay, they're old enough, they're four weeks or six weeks or eight weeks, whatever whatever age we're going to put them in our coop with our older birds, and I say, okay, now they're fine to go there, they're vaccinated, well, I just put them in an environment with all this feather dander in there. So I'm basically putting them in an environment with a bunch of virus in the environment. So sometimes people say, well, I vaccinated the birds and it didn't work. Well, the two reasons that could happen is a lot of reasons that could happen. But one reason is that you didn't uh, vaccinate them on time. They need to be vaccinated day one of age at the latest. And there's a way that the hatchery can actually vaccinate earlier. Uh, the second reason is you vaccinated them, um, but then they, you put them in an environment where there's virus all over the environment. So they got um, exposed. And in that tug of war between the vaccine and the, uh, the virus in the environment, the virus in the environment beat the, um, um, beat the vaccine because the vaccine doesn't work against every single strain of Merrick. So no vaccine is perfect. So I think people sometimes kind of assume that the, if the vaccine, if they vaccinate their birds, everything's perfect. Um, so those are some of the things to think about. But what, I, what I'd also say to your point is that, okay, let's say you do have that bird that's four, five, six, seven months of age, and it's, 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 uh, it's lame. And you're like, well, I remember Dr. Potesky and, and Andy talking about Merrick's disease. Is that 100% always Merrick's disease? Absolutely not. And that's where it gets get a little challenging. So is it lame because there was some type of um, uh, fracture um, that's not even related to um, maybe some kind of trauma that's not related to a virus at all? Um, Is it lame because it has bumblefoot on the bottom of its foot, um, which is more of a husbandry issue? Um, Is it lame because there's a nutritional deficiency? Um, Is it sick somewhere else? And that's why it's not, we can't even really tell whether it's lame or not. Uh, is there some other um, kind of disease process going on? Um, and then the hard part is Merrick's disease manifests itself in a lot of different ways, not just um, paralysis, but sometimes you can see those tumors, those lymphomas um, in other peripheral nerves. And sometimes you can see tumors um, in the eyes and other clinical signs that don't always fit what you read in that you know 1,400-page avian diseases book. Um, as the joke goes, not all chickens read the book. And when they don't read the book, you're like, oh, God, it's a nine-month-old chicken. Well, I just read avian diseases, and it says that that's too old to get Merrick's disease. Well, unfortunately, the chicken didn't read the book, and it got Merrick's disease. So um, it can be challenging, and, you know, this is where pathologists and all those type of folks come in. Um, but it's good to know, you know, they, they, they always tell you in vet school, don't, you know, be aware that there are zebras out there, but when you hear, when you hear, hoof, when you hear hoof prints, when you um, – 
when you hear um, you know, kind of galloping, you know, in, in our environment, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be thinking more about a horse uh, than I'm going to be thinking about a zebra. So be aware that, yep, sure, it could be some weird disease that, you know, maybe I look up on the Internet. Um, but the reality is, is that Merrick's disease is so common. It's so ubiquitous. It's the number one cause of mortality. It does cause a lot of paralysis, and it does affect birds in that kind of uh, three to, to six-month kind of age period. Um, that, that those are the things that you kind of want to key in on um, when you're thinking about diagnosis. And as we all know, that the sad part about Merrick's is that it, it is pretty much preventable. It's 99% preventable. The commercial poultry industry, to their credit, does not have a Merrick's disease problem because they all vaccinate. Um, and, and the backyard um, world, you know, with, with all the good intentions that backyard um, enthusiasts have, and you know, I talk to those folks all the time, um, with, with all the good intentions, they don't do a good job of vaccinating. So I, I think there's a lot of, um, of, of, of potential improvements that could be made in, in, in that area. Um, and also the, um, the commercial birds, they're more in a um, controlled environment, too. With your backyard birds, they've got access to wild birds and probably more rodents, and they're picking up insects and just all this mm-hmm. kind of vectors of disease where maybe, uh, the, again, the, um, it's a more controlled environment in that, in that commercial arena as well. <coughs> they may reduce the risk. Yes, agreed. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to go to a quick commercial break, and then when we come back, I'm going to give you a chance to, or uh, during the commercial, think about if there's anything else you know you wanted to share, go on to the next thing, um, wrap up, continue on. I think there may be a couple more things, but uh, I need to go to a commercial break. So if you're just tuning in, no worries. You can listen to the entire broadcast uh, shortly after the show, the live show is over. Uh, same link, everything's the same. Uh, but we are talking today with poultry veterinarian, Dr. Maurice Pateski. We're talking about I can have, and we're touching just a few, um, which you may actually encounter in your backyard. If you want more specifics about specific diseases, we'll just look no further. You can scroll down uh, on our radio show, and you can see the the titles that we've talked about over the last decade, over uh, 1,100 episodes that we've done. In fact, today looks like it's 1,146 is today's episode. You can also go and check out the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine uh, at chickenwhisperermagazine.com. And uh, we'll be back with more right after this short break. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialist's. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg's should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. 
Order online today at StrombergsChickens.com. That's StrombergsChickens.com. I'm about to say something that may shock you. There's a chance the mealworm treats you're feeding your chickens are doing them more harm than good. Most of the mealworms sold in the U.S. are hollow and empty because of how they're processed, leaving them with little or no nutritional value. The problem is chickens love healthy insects like mealworms, but there hasn't been a way to get access to them in large quantities. Until now. The only mealworm company I endorse is The Honest Worm because of the way they raise and process their mealworms. Now, they've set aside some bags only for my listeners to try for free. Just cover the cost of shipping and handling. Head on over to freemealworms.com. That's freemealworms.com. If you don't see sold out at the top of the page, that means there's still some bags left, but only for a limited time. Go to freemealworms.com and get your free bag today. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H feeds.com. Or order today on amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. This looks like a job for super chicken. You get the super sauce. I'll don my super suit. All right, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer brought to you by our good friends over at Kalmbach Feeds. What disease could my chickens have is today's topic with Dr. Maurice Pateski. I want to give you one more reminder that you can subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Just go over to chickenwhisperermagazine.com and click on the button there that's available to subscribe uh, to that free digital edition. Of course, if you like a physical, uh, real-life flip pages on a Saturday afternoon in your easy chair, uh, we can accommodate you. We have uh, uh, several thousand uh, subscribers to that, and we'll mail it right to your mailbox, and you can enjoy that anytime you like. And then you can have a kind of a catalog and go back and say, oh yeah, uh, Dr. Potesky did this one on internal parasites uh, a couple of years ago. I'm going to go look, read, read that one or um, the importance of water that he's done for uh, for that. But Dr. Potesky is a regular contributor to Chicken Whisperer magazine. 
and we thank him for that. So let's get back over here to the phone lines and bring him back on and let him uh, wrap up and continue whatever else is on his agenda for today. Yeah, so uh, we talked about one example of um, a insect or um, uh, we, we talked about the northern foul mite, excuse me, and then we talked about, so that's something that we can really see well. We talked about Merrick's disease, which is something we can't see, but we can we can diagnose because it's a, it's a virus, so it's too small, but we can diagnose mm-hmm. it. Um, we can at least see some of the clinical signs, and, and maybe that points us in the right direction about how to uh, treat our poultry um, to, prevent, to prevent it from uh, spreading to the rest of our flock as we get new birds um, eventually. And then the last two I wanted to talk about are E. coli and coccidia. Um, so these are both very ubiquitous things. Coccidia is what we call a protozoal parasite. Um, so it's it's actually um, in the animal kingdom. And E. coli is a bacteria. Um, and they, saw, they cause very similar clinical signs. Um, but um, E. coli doesn't typically kill birds by itself. Coccidia can and will kill um, young birds. So coccidia is probably the most common, or not probably, it is, at least in California, the most common cause of death in young birds. Um, so, um, it is really important to, um, to control, um, but the signs that you're going to see, the bloody diarrhea and some of the GI problems, some of those can be, um, I wouldn't say you would, you would see that always in an E. coli infection. Um, but what happens a lot with poultry and E. coli is that E. coli are in your chicken, they're in the environment, no real big problems, but when you have another problem, if you have a coccidia infection, for example, um, then your immune system is and you're, is so focused on on treating and, and fighting back against the coccidia that those E. coli now can kind of proliferate and cause a problem. So uh, coccidia can be the root of a lot of problems, and, and this leads to kind of um, this, I guess, subtlety that very rarely do chickens die of one disease. Chickens are pretty tough. Um, turkeys, not so much, but chickens are, are tough. Um, and, and for the most part, it, they, they, they can deal with one problem at a time. Um, but if they have two problems, then, 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 then it becomes a little uh, overwhelming for them. Um, so it's really important to, to be aware of it. If we're dealing with two kind of GI issues or two respiratory issues or one immunosuppressive disease, then that can cause this, this, this whole cascade of, of other diseases that are probably at low-lying levels in the environment to start causing disease. And, and coccidia is the perfect example of it. It doesn't always kill you, but it, it, it suppresses the immune system enough to where if the birds are raised in a bad environment, um, where there's a lot of E. coli, for example, in the drinking water or in the feed because there's the, the, we're not using good biosecurity, um, then it's really important to, to, to be aware um, of those type of issues. So uh, the thing about coccidia is very similar to um, to, to Merrick's and that you know we, we have to kind of typically open up the bird to really know what we're dealing with. But if you're seeing a three- to six-week-old bird um, that is having a lot of GI problems um, and the birds um, just don't look very uh, thrifty and uh, there's diarrhea and bloody diarrhea, um, then you can certainly um, um, make a, a guess that we're probably dealing with coccidia. Um, and in this case, it's actually probably appropriate. First of all, we should always be using medicated feeds. And when we say medicated feed, that's just a fancy way of saying that there's a coccidia stat in the feed, um, and that's in, in chick starter feeds. 
And it's really important to do that. Now, a lot of people are very adamant about not using, they want to use organic feed. Um, and I, I fully support that um, once we get past the chick starter feed. Um, but the, the, it's really important because of the way that we raise backyard birds um, on the ground um, that we're able to um, mitigate the um, proliferation of coccidia because the reality is, is that those birds are being exposed to low levels of coccidia all the time, um, especially in a backyard environment. And there's nothing wrong with that, actually. It's probably a good thing, actually. It's probably stimulating their immune system just enough um, to, 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 to make the immune system work the way it's supposed to work. Um, but if there's too much coccidia in that environment, if the birds are a little immunosuppressed because um, of whatever other diseases are probably floating around, um, then it can be a real problem. Um, so it's really important to, to be aware that these coccidia stats that are in the medicated feeds um, are not like any drugs that we use in human medicine. So we don't have to worry about those coccidia stats getting into our eggs um, and causing any type of resistance. And you know, when we're trying to fight off an E. coli infection someday, or because uh, we just don't have coccidia in our, uh, or, or we don't have the same kind of coccidia and the same kind of drugs. Um, in in uh, in human medicine, so I, I really encourage people to consider using those coccidia stats. If you don't, it just becomes much more important to 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 really focus on making sure your birds are raised in a clean environment. So in a perfect world, those birds would be raised on a concrete floor that you would be able to clean and put litter on top of. In a non-perfect world, you just want to make sure that there's not a lot of moisture around feeders, that there's not a lot of fecal. Um, uh, material. The birds are pretty good if you have enough litter there about kind of rototilling that fecal material back into the um, um, back into the litter. Um, and, and that actually, if, you, if your litter is nice and clean and it doesn't smell bad um, and you don't see a lot of um, evidence of you know, kind of, kind of contamination and, and things like that, then, then the litter can be actually your best friend. But if the litter is moist, if it smells bad in there, not only are you giving the coccidia a great home for them to kind of persist um, in the environment, but now you're giving E. coli a chance to proliferate. And now you're giving things like fleas a chance to proliferate because the, the, when, the fleas, when the female eggs, um, the, 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 the fleas themselves get their, get their meal from the skin of the chicken, but the eggs fall off the chicken and they, they, as they, um, as they hatch, those eggs will feed off of organic material like, fe like feces. So it's really important. This kind of goes back to that topic that we always talk about that, you know, is, is not rocket science, but it's fundamental to poultry. It really goes back to that whole uh, husbandry and biosecurity. How do we make sure our birds are raised in a clean environment? Because uh, if we raise them in a clean environment, then, then there's just hopefully just enough of each one of these uh, diseases floating around to give them a little immunological challenge, but not too much to cause disease. Um, and that's kind of what we're trying to aim for. We don't want, you know, to, to have our birds in a, in a bubble boy type environment. We actually want to have a little E. coli there, a little coccidia there um, to allow the immune system to, to do what it's, it's capable of doing. Awesome. Yeah, I know that, you know, that's another thing whenever anybody on the forums will say um, just bloody diarrhea or, running, or whatever, they'll have the most <coughs> set of symptoms and they think, oh, it's coccidiosis, coccidiosis. And, um, yeah, it's just, you know, the, the top ones that you see that are out there. So, um, no, I'm glad you hit 
um, all of those. And um, I just got done, Doc, uh, last couple of weeks. I took the uh, Georgia Broiler Conference and the Georgia Layer Conference and uh, just learned a ton, ton, ton of information. And they had a entomologist that was there uh, on both okay. events. Uh, and uh, one, she kind of covered just an overview of many different insects. And then on the second one, the broiler um, uh, conference, she really primarily for her whole time talked about the darkling beetle. Um, and mm, she talked yeah. about that. And I forget, I, th- I think her number was, I've got it written down over at another desk, but it's like at any given time, a single broiler house could have up to five million of these darkling beetles in in that system, whether it be in the rafters in the wood and barrel places uh, in the bedding and and thing. It's it's uh, I know the broiler industry is really uh, dealing with that that right now. But she also said that she would not be surprised. I don't think she had said she'd seen anything yet in a backyard setting. But she said she's not holding her breath as as many uh, as the backyard poultry uh, and chicken movement is, is booming that uh, she doesn't see sooner or later bed bugs in a coop setting. Um, so that that was that was pretty fascinating and uh, and whatnot. So that was that was a great experience. But um, thank you very much for for coming on. It's a great show. I think a lot of people can benefit from this and get a lot of great ideas and and reassure them of what maybe some things that they can do. Thanks for sharing that book. I'll have to seriously maybe consider that <laughs> as a special <laughs> gift to me one of these days. And uh, Dr. Simon Shane, I've actually met him before on a couple mm-hmm. of occasions. I've actually attended one of uh, one or two of his um, uh, programs or seminars. I can't, you know, now remember which one what the topic was, but I've met him, shake his hand, and I subscribe to his new le- newsletter. So what is it? Once a week, uh, anyway, I get that uh, and get all updated with. Uh, his point of view on different things, and uh, I remember the first one of the first times I talked with him was back when there was a salmonella outbreak. You were on the show, Dr. McRae, uh, and others from the CDC, and uh, I think I talked to him about it as well because he does a lot of work, I think, over in uh, the Middle East uh, with 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 um, salmonella and even uh, even influenza over there and whatnot. He had uh, a lot of different theories and uh, information over there in that hot and warm climate uh, versus maybe some areas over here. So uh, I was uh, proud that you had mentioned uh, his information uh, as well. So, uh, But Maurice, thank you very much for joining us today. A great show as always, and uh, we'll look forward to having you back here the second week of November. I can't believe I'm saying that. November uh, is when you'll be on. That'll be like two weeks away from Thanksgiving the next time you're on. Yeah, crazy. Thank you so much. But I think probably sometime this, later this weekend, beginning of next week, you'll be getting an email from me about the winter issue of Chicken Whisper Magazine. So if you're in your back of your mind between now and then, if you'll be thinking about maybe a, a current event or article uh, that you'd like to write for the winter issue, then uh, about within a week you'll be getting an email from me regarding that. Well, good talking to you. Yep, you too. Thank Thanks you for very having much me. for coming on. Yep, thank you. Folks, that's uh, – Hey, poultry veterinarian Dr. Maurice Potesky over at UC Davis, and he's a contributor to Chicken Whisperer Magazine. He's a co-author of the Chicken Fact or Chicken Poop book that's out on the shelves right now, and he comes on the show the second 
Thursday of every single month with great topics like we heard today. And that's going to wrap up another show. We hope you enjoyed it. Tune in next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time when we welcome poultry scientist Dr. Bridget McRae, Ph.D., and I'm sure we'll have another great topic for you that will interest you to keep your backyard flock healthy, happy, and safe from disease. Hey, I'm the Chicken Whisperer. Hope you have a good one. Don't forget, again, subscribe to the magazine. Check out my books at Tractor Supply, Barnes & Noble, Books a Million, Amazon. Uh, Lowe's is a a big purchaser of the book. And uh, so just just you can look for those. The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens is a very well-rounded cover to cover. covers tons of different topics about backyard poultry. The Chicken Fact or Chicken Poop, I kind of, giggle and grin a little bit when that book is sitting on the shelf and Tractor Supply next to a particular uh, blogger's book uh, or one of the blogger's books because uh, it, it, in, in that factor chicken poop sitting right next to it, uh, it debunks a lot of the things that you may actually read in that book on the left side of it and the book on the right side of it. <laughs> so that always makes me, uh, makes me giggle. And right now, Dr. Bridget McCray and I, we're working on our third book, or our second, well, yes, she was a contributor to the second book as well. So really our third book, Working Together, uh, Waste-Free Chicken Keeping. So uh, we're uh, actively working on that. That'll be out by next spring. So make sure you take a look at those when you're out and about. And again, thank you very much for tuning in. We'll see you next time on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by our good friends over at Kalmbach Feeds. Look them up, kalmbachfeeds.com. <laughs> Oh.